0: Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 99. So, as I mentioned in the previous episode, um, I've been trying to get a few episodes out quickly because I want to get to episode 100, which I've had recorded for like a month now. I'm really excited to share that. Um, this one's been a bit of a change of plan. Initially, well, tomorrow and, and tonight was uh, the Damnation Festival in Leeds, which is this you know awesome festival I go to every every year, and you know, this is the first one after some time off from it, and I was super excited. But, me and my girlfriend have got super ill, so that is not happening. So, I've kind of thrown together an episode of what I've been listening to recently. I will say, ahead of this, I am incredibly unwell, and not that with it. So, if you haven't listened before, or you know, if you're starting to get a little bit sick of me... Maybe skip over this episode, I don't think it's going to be my best work. Um, I will try my best to do the albums I'm covering justice. There's a lot of really cool stuff in here, I'm just not 100% so it might be a little bit messy. There's no real theme to this one whatsoever, it is just a collection of like 10 or so albums I've been listening to recently. Primarily stuff from 2021, but there's a couple of older ones that um, sort of cropped up on my radar again recently. Yeah, no no real um, kind of theme or genre to it. Actually, the one thing I've sort of noticed, um, because I've been doing a lot of death metal recently, I've tried to include a few with um, a lot more sort of clean vocals and stuff in this episode because I haven't been focusing on that a lot recently. And actually, on that subject, if... Um, I'll obviously be reaching out for twenty twenty one recommendations soon as we're approaching the end of the year if you've got some really good examples of like great clean singing on an album like that still kind of have heavy and metallic, let me know, because, uh, yeah, I'm a bit lacking on that stuff. So, first up, we're covering the album Pompeii from 2020 by the Italian band Dark Quarterer. I think this one first came on radio because I believe Michael Tote, who did our uh, Mexican Metal episode, recommended it. I think that's right. And it kind of stuck, as much as I don't think I even listened to it at the time, it stuck with me because it's got a really great uh, Paolo Girardi cover of, like scene of uh, all hell breaking loose in Pompeii as a volcano erupts, it was one of it, it some seriously good work from him. This album sits in the vein of what I would call like epic heavy metal or epic doom metal, anything that really focuses on the the kind of massive sort of overblown nature of the band. They are a four-piece uh, with um, Jenny Nepe, uh, like leading the band, bass and vocals, and one guitarist, keyboards and drums. And they have this huge kind of very riffy doom sound. What's interesting is they like layer that sort of heavy kind of, at times almost simplistic kind of big power chord guitar riffs with this kind of cool like 70s type organ sounds. Um, So like there's this really full massive sound, particularly with the bass in there as well. But it's not done by the usual sort of, massively like you know four different guitar tracks going on in the mix it's just huge amounts of keyboards adding to it like there is a very kind of um nice clean production to this so like they the band are really captured in kind of um, an impressive way but like yeah the, the interesting note is like adding sort of keyboards to that kind of slightly old-school heavy metal sound to, to like, really, uh, like, thicken up the mix. The thing that really initially struck me about this album, and probably took the longest to adjust to, is uh, vocalist Janny um vocal delivery. He, he goes for, like... He's got an incredible falsetto high and then a kind of more kind of traditional mid-range vocal that he sort of switches back and forth between the two. But the way he structures, like his vocals around the melodies is often like very much at odds of what's going on or like really going out in its own way i'd say uh, let yourself adjust to this album because i think i listened to like two minutes of track once went oh i'm not sure about that then came back and listened to the whole thing was like actually this is truly spectacular it's just very very different his his vocal performance is what really sets his band apart from uh contemporaries in the genre i've never heard a band quite going like this with um with this kind of setup and it's, it's impressive because well, he has just a brilliant singing clean singing voice like really impressive those those highs are are incredible and he can hold notes for a really long time like he could go for like a a much more down the line kind of you know first candle mass album style vocal delivery and it would sound incredible but i like that he's gone for this kind of very experimental kind of take on it interestingly also credited with bass so i had no idea how he kind of would manage to do both of these live i've not like, as a sort of a more recent discovery to me this band i've only got into them like this week um yeah, I have no idea how this would uh, hold up live. Something else that I really enjoy about this album is the lead guitar work of uh, Francesco Sozzi. His solos are incredible. Every time, uh, like a solo comes in, the band or one of those bands, they, they structure their songs so when it comes for like the you know the big um, like self-indulgent musical moment they move everything to to set up perfectly for it, the riff will change, there will be be a build or some real justification for for what's gonna happen and then like just absolute melodic genius will come in. This guy is totally a shredder as well, like he can really like play some fancy technical stuff but um like yeah the, these leads are just so well done and then occasionally um another francesco uh Longhi, this time uh the keyboard player will get in there and throw in some quite kind of classic 70s prog stuff the album keeps finding ways to like you know throw in new surprises like in the middle uh, of the um of the fourth track on the album uh are called uh plinius the elder there's this like kind of real jazz keyboard breakdown in the middle before it comes back to something um like back into the more kind of traditional doomy riffing and then um, throughout we have these near orchestral moments with um there's a whole kind of 12 piece choir credited as guests on this who will bring in these massive kind of um yeah, like almost operatic moments where the, you know, a big kind of choir swell will come up with one of the more monumental riffs. A particularly excellent example of this is in the second half of Forever, where the song takes a dip into almost silence, kind of thinking the album is going to end. And then, like, Janny um, comes, like, when all the music builds back in, comes in this amazing scream backed by all this, like, choral ringing out. And then, then we get the biggest, like, most showy guitar solo of the of the album. Really, really cool stuff. The, as you can guess from the the title Pompeii, the uh, the album is all structured around kind of lyrical themes uh, of ancient Rome. With tracks like Gladiator, uh, uh, Plinius the Elder I already mentioned, Vesuvius. There's like, which is a, is just a cool kind of thing to be structuring your your kind of heavy metal album around. Like, as well, like, you know, Dark Quarter, they're from Italy, so, you know, in the heart of that kind of historical realm. Now, I've said all this about this band, and to me, Dark Order, I'd never heard of before. I don't know whether they are more known, and I've kind of missed them. But what absolutely blew my mind, because I, I listened to the band a couple of times, really enjoyed this album, before looking up any details about them, I did not realise how long these guys have been around. But, like... I've even described an album that sounds, you know, very modern, very polished, like this would make sense as a kind of an interesting debut for a band, or like, you know, a band have been going for a couple of albums, getting to that point where they're getting really experimental and precise. These guys have been going in some form or another since nineteen seventy-four. Um Paolo the drummer and uh bassist and vocalist uh Jenny Neppy are both people who have been around in the music scene since the fucking 70s. He's doing that vocal performance, hitting those ludicrous highs in his late 60s. I, I'm absolutely blown away this band have been around so long. I think this is their their eighth or ninth album. So they're kind of like, I think they, they seem like a band who are active in bursts. Like they have two albums, one after another in the late 80s and then sort of Periodically spread out and seem to have got quite into it in the last sort of five to ten years, getting more and more stuff out. And this album shows a band at such a level of confidence and precision, and in no way sort of slowing down for age or or even seemingly to not be taking on more modern ideas, like having kind of a cool flavor of the moment, like artists doing the cover. Not even if that's decision on the label, but it it makes some kind of seam up with the current contemporary bands, and as I say, doing something progressive and weird with the vocals that like sets them apart from any any band that would would have still been going from that era. I, I, I have no idea how his voice has held up this well as well, but all that sort of ignored. This is just still an amazing album, but coming from a band that that old guard is pretty incredible. It does strike me as something interesting actually about. Um, Italy in general have... So often, I noticed, like, a really cool artist from there. It seems like they have a huge music scene. But I remember, like, years ago, chatting to Gianluca from um, Time Machine about this. So I was saying, like, you know, you you guys seem to have an incredible scene for particularly power metal and heavy metal stuff, but they've got got a load of great black and death metal bands as well. Um, And interestingly, the country, as much as there's these hundreds of bands... I don't think Italy has a huge kind of gigging scene. Like, there isn't loads of small venues like we have in the UK or seemingly like America or Sweden has where you're getting cool rock shows basically every night. So, yeah, I think this why bands like Dark Quarter might sit a bit more under the radar than, say, their, their British equivalent, um, which is criminal because, as I've been saying, Pompeii, I don't know about the rest of the earlier catalogue but Pompeii holds up to any of the old guard like heavy metal or doom bands doing this kind of sound um, Yeah, as well today as, as as with old stuff Like, absolutely get on and check this album out it is really really excellent covers their faces and then turns along has stopped, eyes wide open, breathing for hell. And now the sea is low in panace, smothered by ashes. But death is not yet, say the still hungry for life. up is a band uh initially recommended to me by ian ferguson of the shuffle repeat podcast this is a norwegian um prog rock ish band moron police and um their latest ep the stranger in the high tide so these guys are definitely like i'd uh, struggle to even say metal adjacent but i want to cover them because i really like their last few releases they've been going since i think their first album came out in like 2012 if not um before that and they've sort of been in that they'd have, like, they write quite, like, I think they, they term themselves even prog pop. They, they write very kind of condensed, rocky songs, often with, like, verse, chorus kind of structures, but with kind of, like, mad detours and, like, very complex um, musicianship, a lot of really interesting guitar and piano parts and playing with, like, interesting time signatures and odd rhythms inside a kind of catchy pop structure. Their earlier stuff, particularly their first two albums, was far more kind of I, for want of a better term, like, slightly obnoxious and sort of uh, in-your-face, with, like, lyrics verging into the the more offensive realm. But then in 2019, they put out the amazing A Boat on the Sea album, where things got far more um, like, kind of kind of far more emotional and as much as they still kept a lot of that silliness like a trap like uh, Captain Awkward has these kind of like quite powerful moments in between all the kind of ridiculousness um the thing that really sold this band to me were the vocals of uh Sonder Skullveld. Uh, sorry. Um, I always mess up Norwegian names. Um, he's both like the vocalist and guitarist, and also credited with, on both this and the latest EP with additional keyboards. Um, so I I feel he's kind of. Uh, quite a bit of the driving force of the band. But he just has this fantastic high voice and and will, <laughs> like, much like the previous band, play around with some of the bizarrest vocal deliveries. If you look no further than the verse of, um, of Captain Awkward, where he is just doing this bizarre, like, hyper-fast, almost, like, scat rhythm... Um, over over the music. Really cool stuff. But then that gives way in that song to this beautiful, like, lead guitar passage. But there's still a lot of the silliness of their older releases. Like, um, with both The Invisible King and Beware the Blue Skies. The, the lyrics are very, this, like, tongue-in-cheek kind of talking about war and kind of, um, sort of Norway's, like, tangential involvement in them. Like, politically very astute, but done in a kind of, uh, quite a, um, kind of fun way. Um, I also, I love the aesthetic of, like, the album covers this, like, this album cover is just... It's one of those ones you can look at for ages because there's so many, like, ridiculous things going on in it. But there's this really bright colour palette and this this bizarre image of, like, fanciful versions of real-life animals, like, all stacked together on top of each other on this this kind of, um, this boat. It's a really cool look. Anyway, I'm going off on one about uh, a boat on the sea, like... Definitely worth going back and revisiting the album if it seems interesting. But yeah, I'm meant to be covering their, their latest release, Stranger High Tide, is very much an EP. It's four tracks. I think it's under 15 minutes runtime. And where it's taking sort of a quite interesting derivation from the last one is I think like maybe the album cover is pushing me this way slightly. But um, it has sort of a more of a Americana, like American folky vibe to a lot of it. It's still got their kind of Trademark slightly like rocking choruses, and when like the electric guitar passages come in, it does sound like traditionally like more on police songs, particularly in the choruses, but there is a lot more use of like acoustic guitar in the kind of rhythm sections, particularly in like the title track and um and this piano tone that kind of fits nicely with that there's moments where the acoustic guitar almost sounds kind of. Banjo-like, and I think that's all very much intentional. There, the front cover, this bizarre image of a cowboy floating on their side above a kind of, uh, like American little outback wasteland. It, it, it's a cool aesthetic. I I don't like it quite as the as much as the previous cover, but like previous cover is absolutely masterful. And the other side of this is like. These four songs, I think they are a bit more subdued as well. This doesn't feel as kind of in your face and for want of a better word, heavy as their previous stuff. It's it's probably the most melodic thing they've ever done, and the furthest away from like sort of the metallic tinge, like if you go back to an album like Defenders of the Small Yard, that does get into some quite heavy metal territory when the songs get get a bit more kind of weighty and the guitar really comes to the fore. This feels very much in that kind of prog rock uh, with a touch of folk rock kind of vibe. Particularly, say, like, the, the final track, Parachutes, is incredibly subdued. I'd say S- The Stranger in the High Tide is at its best when it is doing those um, those big choruses, like... The Power of Jesus, the opening track, has some really great moments it builds up to. And for me, the absolute highlight of the EP is Waiting for the Wastelands. Um, Sorry, Waiting for Wastelands, the third track, which, like the final kind of uh, version of the chorus and that is just absolutely massive and um, really plays into uh, Sondra's voice. Keyboards are a huge part in this release, as I previously mentioned. He's credited with additional uh, Hammond on this, and then we have Lars uh, Bjorkner's uh, playing piano, Hammond synthesizers, and additional percussion. So there's, there's like, that's the, the real thing that sort of layers out and fills out the sound, whereas, um, obviously, we just have one guitarist who's also doing the vocals, so as much as they get some great elite guitar in their moments, it is the keyboards offering um, the, the sort of the rest of the lead melodies. For a band this proggy, say so the bass isn't that part that's really throwing a lot of leads in it. They're, them and the drummer are just creating sort of cool grooves for the most part in the background of the sound. Those two are rare, like the showy parts of any given songs. And actually this is true throughout their whole discography. As much as they very much lean into the kind of prog tag, there isn't a huge amount of guitar solos. Like they're certainly there Um but they they kind of they're not self indulgent or going for a long time and often like they'll mask them by throwing like a vocal melody in over the top, um, and this album still has a, like trademark sort of sense of humor. But I kind of like it's slightly more toned down um, feel it's had in recent years, uh, like keeping that like not having that kind of totally front and center like on the earlier albums. I think. Helps to take the band seriously as much as that sounds obvious, but yeah, Strange Light Tides. i say frustrating at fifteen minutes. Like it, I really want a new full length from these guys, but it is an absolutely amazing fifteen minutes. As much as yeah, does feel like a little bit of a tease, but I, I, yeah, if you've never heard this band before, there is a huge amount of cool material to go back and check out. And yeah, if you like your prog rock, definitely worth a go. <music> So next up is one I've been anticipating for a little while, came out about two weeks ago. This is The Silver with Ward of the Roses. So it features um Matt and Jamie Knox from Horrendous and then uh, Enrique Saganaga on drums who are of Crypt Sermon fame. Interestingly, um Jamie Knox is playing um bass, not drums, on this, and showing off some incredible bass chops that he surprisingly has. Um, Matt Knox, as well, is mainly playing guitar, but adding some kind of additional clean vocals, and then uh, the line that's rounded out by uh, Nick Dutchman um, on harsh vocals. So you'd be f- forgiven for expecting a lot of different genres, actually, based on um, on that, that sort of description. But what I'd say the silver give us is this kind of... Um, odd, sort of, more epic take on black metal with maybe a touch of, like, Crip sermon sort of Doom feel in there. They There's, there's none of Horrendous' sound. Like, if if I was told, you know, if I was played this, I would never guess it featured members of that band. Crip Sermon might have been able to uh, to make the connection, although they're a Doom band that have always had that touch of a, a blackened influence to their sound. The guitar work is, as you'd expect from someone as kind of skilled as Matt Knox, is incredibly fancy and complex. The with these ever-changing riffs, it doesn't fit in the, the uh, that traditional black and groove, doing a, a lot of like sitting on one note for a very long time. While it, it does play around with that that very fast tremolo pick stuff, it's um, it moves between a lot of riffs, in it's 40 minute runtime there literally hundreds of of riffs and different interesting passages um the bass work is just a fantastic counterpoint to the guitar it is very rarely following it often adding kind of even more sort of complex textures to the the ever-changing guitar work drumming's really cool um yeah all all three of the musicians in this are doing um, very interesting stuff throughout, and and it's got a, a you know a really nice mix. The hum was actually mixed and mastered by uh, Debian Herring, the other guitarist and vocalist of Horrendous, so really very much uh, an in-house project this one. Something that sort of um, I, I think sets this apart actually from a lot of its contemporaries is the really excellent uh, vocal performance. So. As far as Metal Archives is concerned, Nick the vocalist is you know, doesn't have any work before this, but he does these fantastic, like very varied scream, some of the more rich like mid register, like harsh stuff, but then going off into these like silencer esque pained wails at times, like his vocal performance is really kind of like, kind of producing the most nasty, harsh element of this band. As a bit of a counterpoint, particularly in the last four tracks of the album, There's not so much in the first half. Matt Knox does provide some cleans, I mentioned. And his clean singing voice, I believe we've heard it on the odd, horrendous track. I'm not the most experienced um, fan of that band, but yeah, I believe we've heard it before. And while he doesn't have, like, a truly spectacular, ridiculous, heavy metal voice he he has really nice clean vocals and he's kind of, it's not so much like a bombastic delivery or anything, but he does really clever stuff with them. Say you take a track like Behold Five Judges, um, he will layer multiple vocal melodies over each other to create this kind of really cool section and it just makes a a kind of nice melodic departure from some of the sort of heavier elements so especially as we're getting in like earlier tracks in the album like fallow or breathe are quite kind of quite pummeling um by comparison the um the the album's rounded out very well by like uh, a paul romano um, album cover who if you're familiar with paul romano's work he Pretty much always makes stuff look excellent, and this is this is kind of no um, no exception to that. And particularly fitting for for a band like this, it doesn't clearly tell you what genre this is going to be, and I, I still find it hard to pigeonhole. You know, while it's certainly, I, I'd say, black metal is the primary influence, there is a lot of other ideas going on with the silver. It's an album I think I'm going to take quite a long time to digest because it is very complex and extremely harsh in places and just there is a lot going on and it's a relatively short runtime, but it's something I really hope the members of Horrenda um, of stick with because it is it is very different to their other stuff, but I think they are doing something really unique and interesting here. Yeah, it's just obviously going to be a question of how much of this is a... Uh, a one-off departure or is this something they can keep running alongside their very popular and you know very interesting main project kind of yeah really impressive the amount of creativity those guys have I want to cover the latest EP from Germany's Malady. So, people who've been listening for a while will know uh, Malady, spelt M-A-L-A-D-I-E, um, are a band I've been very fond of for a while now. They they play a very interesting sort of um, avant-garde, progressive, extreme metal, like a lot of use of like saxophone and clean vocals, like juxtaposing against far more like heavy, extreme stuff. And with their like their main albums, they, they follow that kind of vague sound I've described there. But with their EPs, uh, Symptoms One through Three, uh, this is Symptoms Three we're talking about today. They tend to always do something that is totally different to the the albums, and Symptoms Three is is no exception to that. I really like that when a band use EPs as chance to experiment to do something. Completely out there. So, where is their latest album, 2020's The Grander Version, was their sort of most brutal and chaotic album yet, like by far the hardest to digest of all of theirs. And so far, Symptoms 3 is this incredibly melodic, stripped down version of the band. We have the the lineup is is just free of them for this. We have uh, Bjorn Koppler, who is the main sort of guitarist and writer for the band. Um, all vocal duties are performed by multi instrumental multi instrumentalist music making machine Dare, a man who puts out about thirty albums every year. That is not an exaggeration. Um, And then uh, their usual uh, Collaborative saxophone uh, Hawk Peters is, um, is Involved as well adding obviously saxophone To this and you know you're in For a weird melody release when It opens with Like the Basically gentle acoustic guitars And and whistling over the the first track before we get more kind of layering of keyboards and like then the saxophone comes in and turns into a, a more kind of epic melodic piece. But throughout the melodicism is never really like never really drops out. Um interestingly with Symptoms 3 as well, like Bjorn's primary leans on keyboards for um a lot of the melodic elements. Um, there is very, very little electric guitar in this. I think, actually, it's own, the only use of electric guitar is a, is a solo at the very end of uh, Nihilam, the shield effect of the second track. The rest is, is entirely sort of that kind of um, gentle acoustic guitar strumming through, running through each song, and the most we hear it is laying of like, more traditional piano-sounding keys and then, like, kind of synth swells. Dare on this is really leaning into his clean singing, which I think is something we're hearing more and more from him in recent years. His recent solo release, um, A Luminous Constant, uh, really kind of highlighted his ability on that from doing like a far more kind of post-rock uh, type album there. And and this album, yeah, he is really going hard for it. Uh, what's interesting with this, though, is, well, Moundy, as I said, they, they previously last year put out their heaviest album yet. And *Symptoms* Free, while musically is far more like incredibly gentle and restrained, probably definitely the most gentle, and restrained thing they've ever done. It is still sort of heavy in another sense of the word. The the lyrical content is very, very dark. Um uh, particularly um Tenebrae, No More Pain, the, the third track. Dare goes on this incredibly like fraught, like almost suicidal rant to the point where this came out majority of Malady fans were sort of commenting on the facebook page being like Bjorn are you okay after writing these lyrics is are, are you you actually you know are you suicidal and, and he has confirmed he this was him exercising demons it's it's not it's not a greater cry for help and but it it, it makes for some incredibly potent music The saxophone in this is very much used as a kind of further melodic tool. Everything has a a certain sort of melancholy sadness to it, but he's still very much um, in that kind of extremely melodic rock vein. Uh, The only thing that really kind of clearly ties this to being a melody release beyond Dare's incredibly recognisable voice is... um, the final tra- track, the passage, uh, kind of leans into some kind of musical textures, I'd say, more obviously uh, fit with Malady sound. Also, it's interesting that, say, for the first three studio albums, they had a separate clean vocalist in, and Dare was just doing half the work of the, the, the sort of screen vocals, and his vocal ability has grown to such an extent where he can do lead vocals for a whole 25 minute long EP, and it it really works. His his vocals do really shine on this. Um, he, he's incredibly good at uh, communicating the emotion of it. What's what's cool as well is this is as I say an extreme departure from um, from Malady. So uh, it's nice to hear as well that we do actually have a new full length coming in December. So. While uh, while this is, is quite a different approach, I have a feeling we're gonna get another extremely heavy release from the band very soon. But for the time being, I, I urge you check this one out even if it is probably the the first release they put out that couldn't really be classified as a metal album. So it's just occurred to me the next recommendation is also one that I was uh, told about by Michael Tote, so I, maybe that guy needs to, uh, I should give him the podcast after this, he seems to know more he's talking about than me. Anyway, this is, um, this is a very interesting one. Um, the Norwegian based band Goat the Head with their latest album Strictly Physical, so I, I think I was vaguely aware of the name of these guys, they've been around since the early 2000s, And had two albums, but like the most recent release before this was, um, uh, uh, 2011's "Wicked Mimicry." So they've been very quiet for a while. I think they're a band who always had kind of a a slightly kind of silly leaning to them. Like, um, but this latest album is very interesting. So it takes the moment to adjust to. I'd say the opening track, "Call of Exodes." I was really not sure when I first heard about it. Um, it's this very slow kind of plodding doom track, and um, vocalist Pierce Bjutvold, sorry, Norwegian names again, has this incredibly strange vocal delivery where he's doing this sort of, pretty much for the whole album actually, he does this kind of like sing growl where it's like this very low um, rumbling voice that like, feels like it's verging on a death growl, but it's always got a level of melody to it. And I think for some people that'll be very off-putting and others will come to love that sound quite fast. It, uh, it depends what you're feeling. Um, and so, yeah, it's like his vocals were the thing where I was like, whoa, that's that's different. And then the riffing is this kind of heavy plodding doom, but he's also credited with playing organs. So he's he's adding these massive kind of organ sounds over this slow kind of riffing there's a lot of bass and drums in the mix as well so it has like this very like heavy tone to it and actually what really sold me on this track is um there's a, one of the first great lyric videos i've ever seen you know how for the most part lyric videos are just really awkward like a lot of bands who do not survive having their lyrics kind of flash up and screen um this one, uh, they have the titular Ixode um, walking around the a rotating version of the album cover, jumping in time with all the lyrics on the lyrics as they kind of, like, come up on screen. As much as that sounds really cheesy, go watch it. it just, it works really well. Um, but yeah, then go the Head so, like, totally surprised me, and I think this is where, like, because I, you know, gave it a bit more time... Um, it was as soon as the second track came in they they totally got me on board. Fit for Swine starts with this incredibly fast like really heavy guitar riff that puts me in mind of uh, particularly actually with the vocal delivery as well kind of like a more simplified version of Morbid Angel like it, it suddenly becomes this like real kind of punishing fast death metal thing. Then with tracks like Exhaler afterwards we go to this weird place where and I like, think kind of always sits in this vein I think the the organ helps with this of partially old school heavy metal and then then some kind of more extreme stuff like some influence from i assume modern death metal and doom one of the real highlights of the album for me is uh, the fourth track the cosmoclast which like has these huge very open sections where sort of the guitars will be playing these simple kind of more doomy chords and you get this very kind of bright organ lead melody while the vocalist is leaning more into his kind of really gravelly screams but underneath it rather than slowing down the drums like there's just this absolutely thunderous double kicks over these huge open spaces it's it's a very unique sound and like moments like that i think like really shine on the album honestly what go the head's doing will not Like appeal to everyone. This I think this will always remain a very divisive album, but I would highly advise going and checking out purely for they are onto something kind of new and interesting here. Like I, I they don't have another band that any like as a whole they put me in mind of. Like they're they're doing something very different, melding those influences here, and I really like the use of organ in that more kind of extreme almost death metal sound it it, it actually fits really well Because I apparently can't avoid talking about death metal in this episode, i um, going to bring up an album that just came out that totally took me by surprise. This is Aeon with God Ends Here. So really enjoyed Aeon back in, like, you know, I remember when I was at uni, sort of listening to um, Rise to Dominate and Path of Fire, that if you're not aware of them, they're a kind of very technically gifted really hefty sounding very like anti-religious death metal with yeah just a very high focus on like weird rhythmic riffs like kind of a band who took what um cannibal courts were doing post wretched spawn and just ran with that like these massive like really kind of overtly complex riffing without ever quite verging into the realms of tech death um but they went very much quiet after um 2012's Aeon's Black, which is an incredible sounding album, like, and, and was ashamed to, you know, not here for this band for, like, verging on, like, nine years after that point, and have finally come back with God Ends Here, like, um, featuring a lot of the early lineups that we have, like, the, the original uh, guitarists, both guitarists and vocalists, um, and this album... Very appealing, or like even just glancing at it, it's another Paolo Girardi cover, um really cool work by him, which which very much fits with the sound of the album. Where this is a slight departure from Aeon's usual thing is there is a lot of short um interlude tracks, I think of five kind of minute-long instrumental interludes of this kind of faux kind of orchestral synths, and some of those orchestral synths work their way in with the kind of really heavy technical kind of low-end riffing and it actually really works like um yeah the guitarist uh dami delimi is is also credited with with sort of keyboards and songwriting and zeb nelson the other guitarist is is credited with the the sort of choral arrangements that go over this sort of thing and i don't from memory, I don't think this is a sound they'd ever really played with before. Like, Aeon were very much a band who sort of sat in a wheelhouse, and it's nice to see on their sort of return they are, um, starting to really experiment with with other ideas to bring into their sound. What is at the core of the sound, though, is that that kind of death metal riffing I was talking about. Like, uh, the vocalist Tommy Dalstrom um, has a... Re- ridiculous like one of those brilliantly clear hyper low growls um lyrically this is very much the sort of dsi down with god uh, kind of stuff it's not it is not the most intellectual but it certainly fits with the the style of riffing and uh, he does a good job getting his kind of very over the top uh, message across Aeon's black yeah i remember patrick bruce of um crypticus fame saying had one of his like favorite guitar tones on on a death metal album and this is kind of continuing on that vein if you like that kind of um very clear low heavy and precise tone it's it's you know it's a more modern sound this is certainly not an old school sounding band like we have the kind of triggered kicks but not triggered in such a way I think it really uh detracts in any sense it's very um Full sounding and like you know, you can hear all the kind of intricacies of all the complex stuff going on here. While I made it sound like the band are very technical, they do know when to go into a groove and just uh, just sit on a more simplistic riff to emphasize a cool kind of bit of the vocals or, or interesting bit of guitar work. Um, the title track "God here is the obvious example of where hey, i I'm just really shining on this album, and that has some of the more simplistic riffing on the um on all of this, actually. It vaguely, actually, the, the first half of this track reminds me of Hypocrisy's Eraser, but if that was just massively lower and heavier, like it has that like, you know, that hypocrisy touch of, you know, Swedish catchiness in there. And um yeah, they, they're certainly sort of recapturing it with this album. So I haven't. Like, again, it's another album that's been out like what just over two weeks, so I haven't fully digested it at this stage. But I would say it certainly strikes me as if you've missed Aeon in the past, like this isn't a bad place to start. There's some cool ideas in this, and to I, I say I, I quite like those um, orchestral touches to break the album up. I'm not sure whether their core fan base are um, annoyed about that or not, but as someone who, who really enjoyed the band in the past, I, I thought that was a really nice addition to the sound. And the fact is, like, the album's slightly longer than normal due to that, so you're not missing out on any of the great riffs because of that addition. And yeah, I think Aeon have just come back incredibly strong, and I'm hoping, like, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot more from them. They'll, they'll go back to touring, because uh, this, is, this is certainly a sound I'd love to hear recreated live like i think there's so much interesting going on i'd I'd love to watch this band uh, play this stuff one and you can tell uh, the illness is kicking back in now um i honestly can't remember if i've ever discussed this band on the podcast before or not like i might well have reviewed them on an episode about three episodes back so i do apologize now if i'm repeating myself uh so the the ep i want to cover next is mazul's uh, gallipoli so this is a debut ep um Panny, a uh, side project of members of uh, Noctrillium, uh, who I'm also, I'm not familiar with. Uh, my friend, um, Jake, recommended me this, Jake Walters, uh, who is a massive fan of 1914. So, unsurprisingly, a black metal band doing an EP centered around the 20, uh, 2015? The 1915 sort of glibly conflict of the First World War seems very much up his street the the front cover is a kind of uh the sort of black and white photo of the australian troops running forward um and the ep is 25 minutes of incredibly powerful very bleak brutal black metal with this kind of completely full-on blast beating um over like furious like fast guitar work and these incredibly kind of drawn out like angry high-pitched screams with a like like element of distortion on them it's one of those eps where it's more i think about the feel than the, the kind of riffs it very much creates an atmosphere um from like the opening sound effects of uh 25th, four nineteen fifteen like, of, like, the kind of Warscape sound effects, like, that blasting just feels like the completely appropriate uh, follow-on from that. We do get moments of change in there, like, that That track has this cool kind of, like, bass guitar breakdown towards the end of it, and then, like, a track like Lone Pine um very much gets into this kind of drawn that sort of groovy section in the second half, but primarily it's this absolute kind of furious black metal assault. It's definitely one I want to cover because I I will get to the new 1914 album at some point, but it's going to take a lot to digest that one. I think there's a lot going on there in the first week from release of it. I haven't had time with it, but Gallipoli has been a great standing. This game out back in August, like, has been one in that vein I've really been enjoying for all the kind of like emotional weight that comes with, um, comes with like talking about a conflict that is near enough in, in kind of living memory. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it, the, this band really kind of handle the, the subject matter with, with the sort of appropriate care. Like, it, it does seem to, come from a very good place. And there, I should say, um, Missoula are an Australian band. So, so this obviously sits a bit closer to home for those guys. Also, if, um, for those wanting to look this up, the name is spelt M-E-R-Z-W-L, uh, as in two U's in a row, L. Uh, and yeah, like, it's, um, it's got a kind of slightly synthetic sound, this EP. Like, the drums, I assume, are programmed. They have that, like, very, um, sonically kind of electronic feeling. Like, possibly it's, it's done on electric kit or, like, triggered snares and, and kick drum, but that, that actually fits with the, like, the highly distorted assault of both, like, the guitar and bass. And I think those moments, like, each track kind of finds space and those moments where things slow down, they, they give us, like, sort of that groovier interlude of where this EP kind of gets its extreme emotional weight from, though, like, those bits do carry this kind of odd sense to them. Like there there's yeah, there's something very impressive about the way um Masil have um have crafted this and I, I think that much like Jake he recommended this, definitely doing this kind of more extreme, particularly black and influenced music about the kind of um the first world war just seems like really fitting subject matter for it and is something I, I I for want of a better word, like really really enjoy hearing. I won't dwell on this one any longer because I really feel like I've done this before, but I could be wrong. I want to cover three death metal albums in rapid succession, all of which are, like, kind of very newer releases I haven't fully had chance to digest, but I've been enjoying so far over the last few weeks. First up is the new album by Archfire, Bleed the Future. At this point, I'd be amazed if any of you are not aware of Archspire. Like, they are kind of skyrocketing to a lot of success, like a season miss signing. Um, but that's well-deserved. The guys play a ludicrous brand of tech death some of the most flashy over-the-top fast music and this really feels like it is leading off from where where like relentless mutation left us everything is just turned up to 11 like uh, oliver elrond's like Elon. Uh, his vocals are just as fast as ever. Like, his ludicrous, cri- quick, like, almost, like, rap precision of death metal vocals. Like That, like, machine gun fire vocal effect is still, like, my favourite thing about this band. But the, the kind of, the ridiculous, like, sweeping, rapid um, guitar work, the completely over-the-top bass regularly breaking into moments of, like, ludicrous multiple string tapping sections and then then the kind of electronic sounding kind of like drum precision in the background where everything is just hyper fast hyper technical um yeah that's all just it's more so than the last one it, it's really impressive on that front um the did always have that weird thing as well where in essence i don't think any of the tones would work by themselves i remember seeing them live and thinking Jared Smith had, like, one of the ugliest sounding bass tones when he was just warming up by himself. I was like, I just don't get that. It just sounds so strange. But then in the context of the album, it is the perfect bass tone to cut through the kind of uh, ludicrous, like, wall of shred of Dean Lamb and uh, Toby Morelli's guitar work. And, And actually, the bass does get to take part when there's five musicians all fighting for space every couple of seconds. The band still do that thing I really like where they intersperse every couple of minutes of the music with these sort of short very kind of um melodic atmospheric passages of guitar then back into the the absolute craziness and with music this fast and heavy they keep it extremely catchy um uh, topped off as well by a great cover from uh Eloran Cantor like uh his work I just always enjoy and this is this this is a, a really cool one that kind of fits with, with Archspire's weirdness. I think at this stage you're going to know whether you're going to be into Archspire or not, but I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and can see it being an album I revisit quite a lot. Another great death metal release from last week was Burial with their debut Inner Gateways to the slumbering equilibrium at the centre of the cosmos. Another album with a fantastic Palo Girardi cover, the uh, the third album cover by him this in this episode. Um, so yeah, Burial this is the Italian Burial not to be confused with one of the other 30 bands called uh, called Burial as I say this is their this sort of baby full length although they they did have an EP and like a demo ahead of this but they do seem to be like a relatively young band and they're playing this great kind of uh, death doom with a very kind of old school, um, death metal tone, like, and actually, like, the vocal delivery as well feels very, um, very rooted in, like, that, like, kind of 1992 scene. While I say they seem like a young band, like, the members seem to have a, feet in a various number of projects, so they're clearly people who are putting a lot of time and work into, uh, into the music, but, like, talking of the music, um, the... The kind of thing I think roots it more in Doom is kind of the length of the songs. As I say, like, the average length of tracks on this uh, this five-song album is around, like, the eight-minute mark. So they, these big pieces that sort of go through a lot of evolutions, like, they they do move into these very slow, heavy sections and then pick up pace for stuff that really, you know, feels more in that old-school, maybe, like, early Swedish death metal worship zone. Um I think if you mean enjoying stuff like the new Worm, like this this might appeal. Uh, it's it's kind of, it has a very consistent atmosphere, whether it is going for the, the kind of the slower or faster sections of it. But they, they kind of, they've got the tone right. The, the as I say, the vocal delivery really, really fits with it. And the structure of the songs are interesting enough to, to sort of really hold your attention throughout. Final Death Metal album from last week I want to cover is one that was recommended to me, uh, by listener Donovan Zimmerman, this is Bizarre from uh, Spain with their debut album Invocation Codex. So yeah, much like Burial, another band who had done a few kind of I think done an EP and a demo, and then this is their their debut proper. This one, no influence from outside the the genre. This is traditional death metal down the line. Actually, I think if you're enjoying Aeon, Bizarre might kind of come into that same sort of uh feel not quite as technical but it's it's pretty frenetic like fast riffing that very kind of well-produced huge drum sound really heavy kind of low end what really sells this album to me is um the vocal performance of vocalist mark berserk he has this fantastic low voice where he can go to hold some notes at a really low kind of growl for a long time and then goes into these kind of faster more staccato sections of vocals and his his vocal approach is what i think makes um bizarre's debut a really brutal listen there are a few sort of departures into slightly melodic territories every so often but honestly for the the 40 minute runtime this is mainly incredibly in your face like to, to put it in context there's 13 tracks in that time so they do not mess around with with particularly complex structures or going through a lot of riffs like they they get the riffs done quickly and then move on to the next idea and pretty much all of it is that um that heavily like pummeling approach it's a transcending obscurity release which tends to be a fair mark of quality these days one thing that's kind of interesting is for a band called bizarre they are one of the more kind of down-the-line death metal bands, like their their lyrical content, pretty much like the previous band, is a very straight-up Lovecraft influence with, with tracks like The Shadow Over Innsmouth and The Call of the Great Ones, where, you know, there there is no bones about what, what their influences are here. But at the core of it, it's really fantastic riffing delivered by a load of musicians who very much live up to the kind of the promise of, of that style of music, like they they can play this stuff so well. So I mentioned I wanted to cover some older stuff, so I think I'll end on this last band. Um, this is one I was reminded of uh, from a recent episode of the Heavy Hole podcast, uh, interviewing uh, Leon DeMolte of Impaled and Exhumed Fame. He mentioned he had a new project coming up, who I don't think have anything out yet, uh, called Lightbreaker. Um, which were primarily taking influence from this band, Oxy Plexigatz, um, who are the project of Alf Svensson, Alf uh, most famed for being the other guitarist on um, next to Anders on the early At The Gates stuff. So he, he was with the band from their kind of time as In Grotesque all the way up to with Fear I Kissed The Burning Darkness. So... Kind of with the band in their really experimental era. If um if you're not familiar with early out the gates, particularly the red in the skies ours, it's a strange album. There is some um really odd ideas in there, and I think he wrote about half the material for that. But then in 1993, he left the the band just before they got big to create, like, this, what I would call, if it wasn't uh, for Codacity, probably one of the nerdiest uh, projects I've ever come across. So it's, um, Metal Archives classifies them as symphonic slash avant-garde black metal. And the three albums he put out under this band uh, between 94 and 98 are these kind of, ridiculously overblown sort of space operas done over this kind of industrial black metal where like there will be particularly say the the second album worlds with and worlds uh there'll be multiple vocalists doing different roles in this story i think all all three albums are um are a connected concept about this alien race and like Alf is playing all the music like programming the drums and I think adding his own screams to the early stuff and then we have a couple of like operatic vocals his wife um actually is a really decent uh Sarah Svensson is a really decent like operatic singer and does these great kind of cleans and then there's like a male operatic voice in there um all of this sounds, like, vocally at least, very much like Aeryon, and there is definitely some aeryon like, there's some stuff that's sort of reminiscent of that in there. Uh, but the music itself is is quite brutal and weird. So I'm particularly focusing on the third album, uh, Sidreal Journey, which I, I would say definitely the place to start with this band. At this point, the lineup has slimmed down to alf and just alf and his wife are doing guest kind of clean vocals he's doing his own cleans on top of his sort of screams in there and the music as they black metal probably is a fair um fair kind of description of of the kind of core of the riffing like you listen to like the first couple of tracks very much have this kind of like rapid uh tremolo pick guitar over this like really fast, very purposely programmed sounding percussion is very like electronic sounding. I think all to add into that sort of sci-fi tone with these like big sci-fi synths over. It. And then there's the trade off between these three vocal styles and the screams Alf's screens. And then Sarah's like, um, like more, more kind of melodic clean vocals. And then we get like regularly interspersed are like minute long passages of uh, like atmospheric synth stuff. Um, the album's broken up really weirdly it's only about 45 minutes long but it's there's almost a track per minute and the songs kind of uh, this isn't quite like say like edge of sanity's crimson 2 where there seems to be no good reason for um for that many splits in songs this is kind of logical although i can't i can't see how you'd ever listen to this other than just in one sitting i'd never uh just put on like uh like uh, just a track at random from this i'd I'd sit down and listen to the whole thing it's uh it certainly fits that kind of theme it sounds very kind of raw and as i say clearly programmed but there there is a nice tone to it and i've seen actually it's it's mixed by handing the rogue of all people who i honestly don't think i knew was a studio guy but um yeah he he clearly is so i'm just a fucking idiot because he has an near infinite career doing sort of mixing and recording and production work um, yeah so so he helped put this together but this does feel very much like Al's like um, own kind of interesting project and it's quite interesting as well to see a guy make a kind of move like this that is sort of such career suicide from what he was originally doing whereas I guess like that early at the gate stuff um, grotesque was very accessible but the, the earlier, or at least very in the kind of cultural uh, zeitgeist at the time they were doing it, like sort of putting out their debut EP in 1990 you know, as as kind of um, the, the Swedish team was coming together. But maybe those those early at the gates weren't destined for the commercial success stuff like Slaughter of the Soul was. Like Slaughter of the Soul, you know, is famous for the album, but... Um, basically created metalcore but I don't think many of those metalcore bands were uh, were taking on so much influence from the oddity that is the Red and Skies hours I think that's um, he, he got out when that band was still weird and went on to do something equally if not more weird in a far more nerdy and hard to sell way i remember leon in that heavy hole he interview saying he's kind of embarrassed to tell people he likes this band me as someone who actually listens to stuff like on like i i have no shame listening to like this incredibly nerdy stuff but be prepared for that going in there's there's amazing moments to it and i i really enjoyed that kind of trade-off of like heavy screen vocals and clean female singing like, i'm a big fan of like the project hates really contrasting the traditional kind of um versions of both those those sort of uh vocal styles something else that plays in the favor of starting with uh Cinderella journey over the the first two albums is this one actually has a half decent album cover the first two well worth looking up are some of the most goofy just straight up terrible album covers i've ever seen particularly the debut fairy tales which is also a little hard to find these days that like if you want to go back and listen to everything from this band the late the last two albums are easy to get hold of i think they actually put on seasons of mist um but yeah the first album seems a little bit difficult to find at the moment as for Cinderella journeys i already referenced uh edge of sanity's crimson and uh, this does have that really nice thing of feeling like one 40-minute piece, like it, it could flow as a, a single track. It's very sort of raw-sounding, and it's certainly of a time, but I mean, now, looking back on it, it's, it's almost 25 years old, so, like, and because it is so much a one-man project, I think that kind of, that energy can totally be forgiven. If you want to get into something a bit different, I highly advise giving it a go. I fully warn you, this is kind of, a very nerdy one-man passion project so it comes with all the things like that um, you would expect from that but I, I think it's very well done and I think he was certainly pushing new ground even if it is something that uh, his influence probably wasn't that big although as I say there's at least one band that's been formed off the back of it uh, yeah so look, looking forward to hearing uh, Lightbreaker as well Right, I, I think I'm going to have to court a day there, because my head feels like it's going to explode, but um, I hope this this episode's made sense, and it's been vaguely logical, and particularly hope I haven't repeated a review I did before, but uh, it's the best I can manage on short notice, and say, I really want to get that episode 100 out, so I needed to put something out here. Um, yeah. Uh, still feeling really sad that, uh, that Damnation is, isn't going to be going ahead, but, you know... If you are going along to that looks like a really great lineup and um if you're listening to this immediately after it comes out they are streaming that first day uh, the night of salvation i think actually it's got it's streaming for like two days so you can see all that like akakokka and uh orange goblin and svalbard show um I know I'll definitely be watching that. That's uh, a minor consolation for not being able to be there. If you've enjoyed the episode, uh, please as always get in touch. Um, As I mentioned at the top, I'm really looking for recommendations like your favorite albums from 2021. Um, So yeah, you can contact Facebook, Phil's Breakfast Metal. We're on Instagram, um, Twitter at Breakfast Metal, or you can email us us at Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Um, But yeah, thanks a lot for listening. I'm going to go lie down.